Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hello, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Lindsay. I am. And this is the last episode ever. Okay. Or the last episode of the regular feed that comes out before Halloween. Also, okay. <laughs> oh man, you're <laughs> pretty really not, agreeable. You're, you're really not attached to the show. You're no, ready just to walk away. I just know your lies. <laughs> uh, yeah, our last October episode. If you want a Halloween themed episode and see us all dressed up during Halloween week, uh, please join us for the Scared to Death Live Haunted Halloween True Tales of Hallow's Eve Horror 2 this Thursday, October 27th, 6 p.m. Pacific Time through Moment. Oh, yeah, that will be this Thursday. I was like, what are you saying? Yeah, basically. Because we're recording in advance. <laughs> we'll be telling several Halloween themed stories that'll only be heard by those who attend. And if you miss out on the 27th, don't hear about it until, say, the 29th or 30th. You can get a ticket still, watch the show all the way until the afternoon of November 3rd. So uh, you can watch it late on Halloween night or the Friday or Saturday before Halloween. Head to BadMagicMerch.com for tickets to the show. Hear stories we'll never tell on the regular Tuesday night feed. Big banner for the show at the top of BadMagicMerch.com to grab tickets. You can't miss it. And then there's exclusive merch for the show as well. We have to try in our costumes this week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're just sitting in the garage. <laughs> just sitting and waiting. Just waiting for you. Also at BadMagicMerch.com, a fun Halloween drop of new items, the Trick or Treat Collection. And the often requested po 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 tea. Best slash worst story ever. Uh, head on over to badmagicmerch.com for that as well. And then uh, that's all I got. That's all you got? Yeah, do you got anything? Uh, do you want me to have anything? You don't have to have anything. We can jump into previews. Let's do it. Okay, let's get going. Let's dive in, bro. Uh, what Halloween week horror do you have for us today, Lindsay Lou? Oh, I'm so excited. I I love your new haircut, by the way, too. Thank I've you. said it off air, but I should say on air. Thank you. I'm a I'm not a redhead. I'm a copperhead. Okay. And my brother tragically said, "You're a rattlesnake." Yeah. My brother tragically said, "Is your hair orange?" And just for all the men listening, you're clown. Never ever ever ask a woman or your partner or whomever if their hair is orange that's that's not a compliment well if you have a clown fetish then that's the sexiest thing you can talk about that's uh you would know that about the other person Mm. but copper 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 bronze copper like in that world you would see it's like warm not orange so like uh, it wouldn't be a good thing to be like what's up clown head (laughs) hey clown hair no that's a, that's not a compliment. You could say it. <laughs> I don't know what'll happen to you, but you could say it. Uh, I have two awesome stories for yeah. Halloween week. I'm super super pumped about them. Uh, a haunting in Connecticut. That mm. I'm very excited about old house yeah. with a new house addition and something interesting happens there. Okay. And uh, my second story. What are you laughing at? I'm just smiling. You're, uh, just, you're very bouncy. It's cute. Boop, boop, boop. Yeah. Uh, and my second story about a creepy family of dolls. A family of dolls. Uh-huh. It's going to make sense when I read okay. you the story. I know, because right now I'm picturing like a mom doll and a dad doll and then like little baby dolls. Well, All right, I'll see. see. I'll find out soon. I don't, I don't want to give too much away. It's so strange. Okay. 
I, I have uh, more story content than normal again this week. Uh, a, a murderous monster from South America. That's the first tale. Mm-hmm. And then a very disturbing disappearance from North America for the second tale. Okay. Don't want to give too much away about either. Uh, the first, if anyone's familiar with the lore, revolves around uh, La Petasola. Petasola. A vampiric entity that allegedly dwells in the forest of Colombia. And then the second story is the 1981 disappearance of an Ohio woman <gasps> named Cindy Anderson. Ohio. Ohio again. Man, it's pretty spooky there. It is. You know why I'm bouncy? Hmm. I had, um, I make these like apple bar things that I had one and a half as I walked out the door mm. and there's so much sugar in them. I'm like, Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually um, uh, am drinking, uh, usually I don't like really pumpkin things. I mean, I know it's like the pumpkin time of year. Is that why this tastes funny? Oh, the, did you grab coffee from home? I did. Okay, it's Black Rifle's new blend, and I'm totally blanking on the name, but I was like, I don't know, because it's pumpkin spice mixed into the beans. Yeah, oh. But it's not too much. I do like the little little hint of pumpkin-y you at know, the end. It feels like there's also chicory and cinnamon in it. Yeah, there could be. And maybe a little bit of nutmeg. When just Isn't that the pumpkin spice, basically nutmeg for pumpkin pies? Kind of, but also pumpkin. Oh, actual pumpkin? Because I was assuming, like, thought that pumpkin spice wasn't even necessarily pumpkin. Oh, well, I, I guess don't, I, don't I don't know. know though. I don't know, though. Well, we can look it up later and, and talk about it. Yeah. But when I would, like, make my, I would, like, buy beans, grind them, and then add cinnamon and chicory, like, all my spices to the ground. Yeah. And that's how it tastes, as a po- which I know huh. is what you're saying, as opposed to, like, a pumpkin spice latte where they add flavoring yeah, like syrup after. Or something. It's like, no, I like that this does taste, um, yeah, it doesn't taste uh, chemically or no, I don't know. No, it's delicious. Yeah. Oh. I, th- I was like, God, I'm like, what did they, because I got a coffee with Monroe this morning, <laughs> yeah. and then I put more coffee in it as I left, and I was like, huh, huh a little, what's a little uh, pumpkin? Something tastes a little odd. <laughs> um, so what socks are you rocking today, and when you uh, reveal those, I know your hip hurts though, so don't uh, yeah, stretch I'm gonna yourself use my too right much, leg. and then I'll get, I'll get started. Okay, look at these babies. Pink skulls. Yeah, dog. And if you like these, I bought them at Spirit Halloween for myself. Nice. So you can go get your own. They're knee high, and they're Real cute. And thanks to the fans in Boston who uh, handed some socks over for me to give you, too. Thank you. Uh, quite a bit of creepy setup before I jump into this modern encounter claim I'll start with. Um, I'll cover the origins of the lore before jumping into that first-hand account. So La Pestasola, or the One-Legged Lady, is a mythical monster born of Colombian folklore. A mythical monster to some, very real, to the source of the modern encounter story I'll soon share. According to legends, La, Pest- uh, La Pestasola appears to men in the forests or jungles of Colombia, most often appearing to hunters or loggers. She takes the form of a beautiful woman, often looking eerily similar to the wife or lover of the man who sees her. Through her tempting beauty, or through the terrified screams of what sounds like a woman in distress, or through copying the woman she is uh, masquerading as, she lures her victims deeper and deeper into the forest, and then once the man is alone and lost, this murderous creature attacks, after revealing their true form, or its true form, a hideous vampire-like monster. Once her victims are isolated and far from help, she tries to kill them, typically uh, by biting into her victim's flesh, eating them alive as they bleed out, or through drinking their blood, again, much like a vampire. Despite only having one leg, La Pestasola is able to move with a terrifying speed when she chases her fleeing victims. In addition to the one leg in her true form, that leg ends in a hoof, and she has only one breast, bulging eyes, and long, terrifying fangs. La Pestasola is spotted most often in undisturbed mountain ranges, forests, and jungles, Considered by some to be a protector of nature, which is why they think she targets miners, loggers, hunters, and herders. According to these types of stories, when La Pestasola is hungry, she often climbs to the top of the trees and sings an irresistible siren song, beckoning any man who hears it to find her. 
In all the legends about her, La Pestisola is said to have once been a beautiful woman, but because she was a cruel temptress, in one version of her origin tales, at least, uh, people from her small village mutilated her to get revenge. Yikes. She died due to her injuries, due to her injuries, injuries, and now in a form resembling how she appeared at the moment of her death, seeks revenge on the living. In addition to those she physically attacks, there's also rumors that she's able to attack and kill remotely by entering her victim's mind from afar and literally scaring them to death. According to other origin lore tales, the most popular stories about her, she was unfaithful to her husband. and One day in a fit of true rage, an emotionally charged bout of temporary insanity, he brutally attacked both her and her lover. The following is an English translation of this version of her origin story. La Pestisola was once a beautiful woman named Maria. Many women were jealous of her beauty, and many men lusted after her. Maria was married to a man named Henry, and the couple had two children together. Henry's boss, Horatio, also married, desired Maria greatly. Not long after meeting her, he began to flirt with his employee's beautiful wife. He began to secretly bring her gifts. Maria, enjoying the attention from an older, handsome, successful man, secretly flirted back. And soon, she fell in love with Horatio. One thing led to another, and one day, as is almost always the case, their secret affair was no longer secret. A woman in town caught the two kissing. The woman warned Maria to return to her husband and never stray again, but Maria didn't listen. She and Horatio continued to see each other, their rendezvous becoming more frequent and more passionate. Eventually, Henry grew suspicious. He couldn't help but notice how his wife began to appear differently. Her makeup and clothing, often more befitting a romantic dinner than staying at home with their children. Henry also began to notice a certain sexual tension between his wife and his boss. He didn't like the way they looked at each other whenever she stopped by his work. He asked her if she was seeing Horatio, and she emphatically denied it. But the way she denied it, now he was almost certain they were having an affair. He just couldn't prove it. Not yet. But then one day, Henry was dismissed from work early by Horatio's wife, who also helped run the company. A woman who also may have had her own suspicions about her husband and Maria. When he got home, he found Horatio's car in his driveway, and his stomach sank. Embarrassment, hurt, and anger settled into his heart. He entered his house quietly, and immediately his worst suspicions were revealed to be true. He could hear his wife moaning with pleasure. He could hear her moaning unlike she had ever moaned with him. He could also hear his boss's voice breathing heavy, saying the things that only lovers say. Fuming, seeing red, he quietly stormed across his house, up the stairs to his bedroom, flinging the do door open, he caught the two in the act. Maria and Horatio, their bodies sweaty and entwined. In a fit of rage, Henry smashed the window with his fist while his wife screamed and Horatio scrambled towards the opposite side of the bed. Henry now picked up a large, jagged shard of broken glass and ran across the room, swinging it down first into Horatio's arms as he tried to block the blow. When Horatio then grabbed his now bleeding arm in pain, Henry swung down again and plunged the glass shard into his neck. He pulled it out, brought it down again into his face and swung it down again and again and again as Maria screamed and hit across the room, curled up in the corner. She then got up and tried to flee, running past Henry and her now dead lover, but she tripped and fell down the stairs, breaking her leg in the process. She screamed out in pain and begged Henry to forgive her, but he would show her no mercy. He also wouldn't kill her, not quickly at least. He would maim her instead. Grabbing a large knife from the kitchen, he removed one of her breasts. <sighs> and then crudely amputated one of her legs, the broken one. Then, their children coming home from school in the middle of this carnage, Henry, in his crazed state, killed them both in front of the bleeding Maria. Finally, as she watched, somehow still conscious as she continued to bleed out, Henry shot himself in the head. 
and Maria now survived for several weeks in her mutilated state by feeding on her own family's blood. Ugh. Drinking the blood of her family turned her into La Pestisola, a hideous creature who can't fully remember who she was in life, a creature fueled only by the emotions of lust and rage. She remembers the lust she felt in the moments before Henry came home, and she remembers the rage she felt that her husband made her suffer so greatly for it. Ever since her transformation, this creature wanders through the forest she first entered outside of her old home, driven towards more and more murder by the strange corruption of her final emotions that she felt when she was still human. All right, now that we know the background of this sinister beast, I'd like to share the modern encounter claim grabbed from a strange corner of the internet. Time now for the tale of La Pestasola. Gabriel had a nightmare the night before he left town. He woke up in the middle of the night shaking, sweating, uh, sweat dripping down his forehead, heart pounding, completely terrified, but he couldn't remember what had happened in his dream. He also couldn't fall back asleep. He tossed and turned until the sky began to change colors, finally giving up and forcing himself to get up and prepare for the trip. Today, Gabriel would join nine other men on a long journey deep into the forest, where they would spend the next two weeks clearing a large section of trees. Gabriel had been doing work like this for over 10 years, ever since he was a teenager. Gabriel's primary logging jobs rotated between tree climber, bucker, and faller. Recently, he'd been training more in heavy equipment operation, which was, his, which was his foreman, Alfredo's specialty. He hoped that Alfredo would retire this year, as he'd mentioned a few times, and he could take on the position. He needed the pay increase for his future plans. Gabriel had been dating his girlfriend, Maria, for about three years, and he could tell that Maria's parents were getting impatient for a proposal. They worried that he was stringing her along for nothing. He also knew that Maria wanted to get married, but she'd never pressure him to propose. He did want to marry her. Maria was the love of his life. Money was the only issue. He wanted to be able to buy a house big enough for a family one day and to be able to financially support that family. As Gabrielle thought about these plans, sipping coffee at his kitchen table, he heard a soft knock on the door. Maria. Gabrielle rushed, rushed to open the door and was greeted with Maria's bright smile. She was holding a paper bag in front of her. I made you breakfast for the road, she said. Lucky me, he grinned, pulling her inside the house and shutting the door behind him. He pulled Marie in for a kiss, and like always, she broke away before things got too heated. She was adamant about waiting until marriage before they explored anything too sexual. She was devoutly Catholic. You'll be careful, won't you? She asked. Of course, Gabriel answered. I always worry anything could go wrong out there. Now she began pacing back and forth across his tiny kitchen. Gabriel, uh, Gabriel grabbed her hand to stop her. What's wrong? I know you worry about me, but I can tell there's something else bothering you today. Maria sighed. I woke up with this horrible feeling of dread in my heart. I prayed for it to leave me, but it's still there. I can only assume it's because you're leaving. I feel like God is warning me about something. Maybe you shouldn't go this time, she whispered. Now Gabriel sighed. You know I have to go. I'll be perfectly safe. I've told you about all our equipment and the safety precautions we follow. I'll walk into the village center every night to call you. Just make sure you're home and ready to answer the phone around eight. Maria gave him a weak smile. You're right. You know me, always worrying. It's just... Her words were cut off by the beeping of a car horn. Alfredo was outside, waiting to take Gabrielle to work. He picked up his bags, his breakfast, and grabbed Maria's hand to walk her out. And he gave her one last kiss. I love you dearly. I'll see you soon, he told her. I love you too. Forever. Be safe. She now began the short walk back to her house, and Gabrielle stood there for a moment, watching her retreating figure. Soon, he thought. Soon he would make her his wife. Someone shouted, Get in, lover boy! Gabriel piled in the car with the other men and spent the next few minutes being the target of their jokes, which still being one of the younger loggers he was used to by now. They were finally beginning their journey to the new home for, the, for their new home for the next two weeks. It would take hours to get there, and they'd start bright and early on work the next day. 
Gabriel was exhausted by the time they got to the house where he'd crash each night, but it was almost eight, so he quickly walked to a phone in the village and called Maria. She seemed to be feeling less anxious now that he'd gotten to his destination safely. He crashed soon after that, exhausted from his lack of sleep the night before. Gabriel woke up, dawn, woke up before dawn after a night of no nightmares, none that he knew of anyway, and the next morning he headed to the work site with his team. Several days quickly passed in a blur as he repeated the same routine. Wake up, make the drive to the forest, work all day, drive back to the village, call Maria, try to get some sleep. It was monotonous. The only interesting part of Gabriel's day was his phone conversation with Maria. Each morning, he counted down the days until he'd be able to return home. Only 13 days left, only 12, etc. After a full week had passed, he was hopeful they'd finish their job a bit early and he'd get a bonus day or two at home with Maria. But he wouldn't say anything to her for sure until he knew. The next day started like all the others and continued like all the others until just after noon. Gabriel was sitting alone on the edge of their worksite, eating his packed lunch, when he heard an odd noise off in the distance. A humming. Not the humming of a chainsaw or other machinery. The humming of a musical tune coming from what sounded like a woman's voice. It was faint and sounded far, far away, but he could definitely hear it. He sat there, still and silent, trying to wrap his mind around why he'd be hearing a woman's voice in the middle of the forest. Gabriel had always been a very logical person. In his experience, every strange event he'd ever experienced always had some sort of rational explanation, even if he didn't immediately know what it was. In this instance, he told himself that perhaps he was hearing an unusual bird song. The noise was very, very faint after all, so he couldn't be sure what he was hearing. And besides, no woman would be in this remote of an area of forest all alone. And even if a woman somehow was out here, she'd far more likely be calling for help instead of humming some tune. Satisfied with his speculation, he ended his lunch break and got back to work, trying his best to ignore a confusing and lingering sense of unease that stuck with him the rest of the day. The next morning, he woke up early, shaking, sweat dripping down his forehead, heart pounding. He'd had another nightmare, and again he couldn't remember his dream. A strong feeling of dread had returned, a feeling more unsettling than what he'd felt the day before. His mind flashed back to his conversation with Maria before he'd left. No matter what he felt, he still had to go to work. Work did not go well that day. Anything that could go wrong did go wrong. One of the truck's batteries died during the night before, took over an hour to get it started before they could leave. Then, once at the job site, two of the chainsaws decided to break down. Chains snapped, several limbs almost fell on people, someone sliced their finger up with a knife, and Gabriel almost twisted an ankle when he stepped on a water bottle that someone had left lying around. He snapped at the crew, which was very unlike him, shouting that they were all acting like idiots and they needed to be more careful before someone got killed. Gabriel was exhausted that night, but he couldn't fall asleep. He tossed and turned until, out of frustration, he threw on some clothes and stepped outside onto his small front porch, staring off into the trees at the edge of the yard. A few mo moments later, he heard the sound of a door creaking open behind him, and Alfredo walked over and stood next to him. He lit a cigarette, letting the silence linger. Alfredo was quiet for a long time before he said, I saw that you were frustrated today. Gabriel nodded, not in the mood to start up a conversation. Alfredo continued, Sometimes... I don't think everything that goes wrong is our fault. What do you mean? Gabriel finally responded. I think there might be things on the forest that are more powerful than we are, things that don't want us here. Gabriel's mind flashed on the odd humming he heard, but his skeptical side overruled the wonder he had regarding the feeling of unease the sound gave him. I don't believe in any of that stuff, he stated firmly. More silence now passed between them before Alfredo spoke again. I'm going to tell you something, he said slowly. And I think it would do you well to listen to me. I've been doing this a lot longer than you have. He continued despite Gabriel's silence. I've seen things I can't explain. I, 
I think I've seen La Pestisola out here. <laughs> Alfredo, Gabriel started, but Alfredo cut him off. I felt like you once, you know. I didn't believe in anything. It frightens me a little how similar we are, actually. When I was young, I had a beautiful wife. She was also named Maria. We'd only been married a month when I left for my first job after the wedding. I promised her I'd see her again in two weeks. Gabriel started to feel uncomfortable. He didn't like where the story might be headed. The job was going well. We all thought we'd get to go home early, but then things started to go wrong. Our equipment broke. There were a few minor accidents. We were packing up to go home. The sun was setting, and I heard a voice off in the distance calling my name. It sounded like Maria. I was so confused, I thought to myself, how could she be here? Why was she in the woods all alone? Did she follow me here somehow? I followed the voice deeper and deeper into the woods, and then I saw her standing there, my Maria. She spoke to me. There you are. I thought you'd never come. I was so lost. Now you're here to save me. I almost began to run to her, but a powerful feeling in my stomach stopped me. She looked like Maria, sounded like Maria, but I just knew that something was wrong. Then an old story from my grandfather came to me, La Pestosola. The fear hit me, and I knew, though I didn't believe in the old stories about her before, there she was, standing in front of me. Somehow she knew what I was thinking, that I had realized the truth, and her face changed. Evil entered her eyes. This was not my Maria. Without even thinking, I turned and I ran as fast as I could back to the work site. I ran, and I heard her screaming, Alfredo! Alfredo! But I didn't look back. I ran into camp with a wild look in my eyes. Everyone thought I'd gone crazy. I didn't even realize I'd been gone for hours. They've been looking for me ever since I wandered off. They, of course, wanted to know what happened, but I couldn't even speak to them. I was so shaken up. And that's not the worst of it. I think I made her angry when I ran away, and I think, I know, she decided to find another way to hurt me. When I got home a few days later, Maria's father came to greet me, with tears in his eyes. My Maria was dead. She was young and healthy, but had a massive heart attack two days before I got home, the same day I saw La Pestisola. Alfredo's voice became shaky with emotion as he continued. I'd never told anyone this before, but I feel like I needed to tell you. I know that La Pestisola killed Maria because she couldn't kill me and that she's followed me ever since. I see her sometimes, not every time I'm in the forest, but sometimes, in little flashes out of the corner of my eyes while I'm working, and I've seen her this trip. She is back, and I know she's going to try to take someone. You should go home. Don't stay here any longer. I worry that something might happen to you. Alfredo's story did not scare Gabriel. It irritated him. Between his Maria's worry and his own recent feelings of anxiety, he was shaken up enough. He didn't need anyone else adding to his stress, especially someone filling his head with fear of a silly old legend, a story you told children to keep them from wandering into the woods. As calmly as possible, Gabriel said, I appreciate you telling me your story, but I'm going to stay and finish this job. I'm sorry what happened to your wife, Alfredo, but I don't believe in these legends. Good night. He left Alfredo behind on the porch and tried to go back to sleep, catching maybe three or four hours of rest before sunrise. Despite, the things, despite things being a bit awkward, with Alfredo to start the next workday, by mid-afternoon things seemed fine. Then before he knew it, the sun was setting, and it was time to leave. One day closer to heading home, just a few days left now. They made the long drive back to the village, Gabriel called Maria, and then tried to go to sleep. Again, though, sleep would not come easily. He tossed and turned until he couldn't take it anymore. And then in frustration, he stepped outside again onto the small front porch, stared off into the trees at the edge of the yard, same as before. And once again, he wasn't alone for long. Gabriel, a soft voice carried on the wind. His head shot up. Gabriel, the voice said again. Maria, he knew it was Maria. Joy surged through him for a moment, followed by confusion. How could she be here? Did she come to visit him? No, that wasn't possible. She'd spoken on the phone with him a few hours ago, and she wouldn't have been able to make the journey between then and now. Yet he heard her voice again, clear as day, all the same. Gabriel, I couldn't wait for you, my love. 
He saw a shadow now, a shadow the shape of his girlfriend, moving at the edge of the tree line, barely visible under the glow of the moonlight. Gabrielle, Maria's voice crooned. Maria? There you are! She sounded delighted. Come here! What are you doing here? How did you get here? I had to see you. I missed you so much, love. Gabrielle paused. Why did she ignore his question? Alfredo's story flashed into his mind for a moment, and Gabriel was afraid, but he reminded himself that he didn't believe in the supernatural. It wasn't possible. Nothing more than silly old stories, believed by silly, superstitious people. Gabriel stepped off the porch into a small patch of grass before the tree line. If he was hearing Maria, then he was actually hearing Maria. There was no such thing as monsters. Maria, he called. Come here. What's going on? How did you get here? The shadowy figure stepped just to the edge of the tree, still hidden from the light, but he could see enough. It really was Maria in the flesh. She was really here and Gabrielle's shoulders slumped with relief. He was looking at the woman he would soon marry, not some figment of his imagination. Come here, Gabrielle, please. He never could say no to her. He took three more steps until he was just beyond arm's reach. Close up, he was once again stunned by her beauty. He wanted to reach out and touch her, but for some reason, a tiny part of him hesitated. I love you, Gabrielle. I love you too, but what? Don't you want to be with me? Of course I do, but then come with me, she pleaded. Her eyes bore into his, seeming to search his soul. He felt that familiar tug in his heart, outweighing any hesitation he might have been also feeling. Gabriel held out his hand to Maria, and she locked their fingers together. She now began pulling him along with what he would later remember was, his, was unusual force. At the time, he really didn't notice. He felt like he'd entered a dream, and he went willingly further and further into the forest. Where are we going, Maria? Why don't we go back to the house? Are you taking me to the place where you're staying? She didn't answer, just kept walking forward, with her hand in his, pulling him deeper and deeper into the dark woods. Suddenly, Gabriel dug his heels into the ground, bringing them to a halt. Maria turned to face him, a hint of impatience visible on her face. They were only illuminated by the tiniest sliver of moonlight. Maria, he started, about to plead with her to please tell him where they were going. But before he could continue, she stepped closer, pressing her body tightly against his and kissing him with unusual passion, a kind he'd never felt before. Surprised, but initially very pleasantly surprised and starting to get aroused, Gabriel gave in for a moment before pulling back from her, placing his hands on her shoulders and really taking a good look at his girlfriend. This was all so unlike Maria, appearing in a village hours away from home with no warning, no explanation of how she got there, insisting that he walk with her into the woods when he knew that she was afraid of the dark, kissing him like this when he knew it was against her morals. The woman standing in front of him, the woman whose face he now carefully scanned, she was Maria, she had to be, but she wasn't her normal self. Something was wrong. She was acting like a completely different person. And Alfredo's story flashed in his mind again. And he started to feel afraid. Very afraid. His mind swirled. No. No, it, it couldn't be real. But while Gabrielle tried to reject a horrific scenario that seemed less and less impossible by the second, Maria's eyes changed. Instead of a bright and happy look she normally had, they grew darker, gleaming with what felt like evil intent. Before he could fully process this change, she suddenly pushed hard against his chest, sending him flying and landing on his back with a thud, the wind getting knocked out of him. The next moment she leapt upon him, pinning him with an impossible strength, and a tiny urgent voice whispered in his mind, La Pesta Sola. He suddenly accepted that this was not Maria, and that if he wanted to survive, he had to escape. La Pesta Sola leaned in closer to Gabrielle, her face only a foot or so from his own, and that face changed. Her skin turned white and veiny, her eyes grew large and bulging, and when she opened her mouth, gaping fangs sat where human teeth should have, and they began snapping towards him. Just then, so oddly, he no longer felt one of her legs pinning him down. His survival instinct kicking in, Gabrielle surged upward, headbutted this monster, and surprised her enough that she released her grip on him just long enough for him to scramble up and begin running away. He only made it a few steps before a hand shot out, grabbed his ankle, and dragged him back to the ground. Gabrielle now heard a deep, guttural growling as he clawed at the hands holding his leg. 
He wasn't strong enough to break its grip. The thing that still mostly looked like Maria crawled back on top of him and put its hands around his neck and squeezed. Gabriel thrashed around, hitting, scratching, pushing Maria with all his strength. He managed to free one leg from the side with no weight on it, wrap it around Maria's body, using her unbalanced state to flip them both over. Maria wouldn't stop fighting. Her hands now clawed at his throat, drawing blood. Her mouth opened, those large fangs again snapping at him. Stop! Gabriel shouted, tears in his eyes. How could this be happening? A small part of him still felt like he was hurting Maria. Why was she trying to kill him? Luckily, doubts like that were fleeting. This was not Maria. This was a monster. Gabriel's eyes now landed on a jagged rock next to him, and he managed to reach out a hand, pick it up, and bash her in the head with it. The creature cried out as some blood splattered across his face and neck, and Gabriel pushed the creature off of him, rolled over, bounced up, and began sprinting, his eyes blurry with tears. He put all his energy and focus into running in a straight line towards where he thought the village was, ignoring the terrifying growls and screams behind him as best he could. He told himself that if he could make it to the tree line, he'd be safe. Gabriel! Gabriel! He heard what sounded exactly like Maria screaming behind him, Come back! Her voice drifted farther and farther away the longer he ran, and a moment later he could see the tree line, and then he was past it, and he kept running. Gabriel didn't stop running until he was inside the house he was staying at, spinning around quickly to lock the door, not daring to look back in the direction he'd just come from, convinced he'd see the monster sprinting up towards him. After locking the door, he turned around and nearly ran into Alfredo, who was standing in the living room, a look of deep concern on his face, and Gabriel said nothing. He didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want to make what had just happened seem much more real by discussing it. So he walked into his bedroom and slammed the door. Gabriel barely slept that night. The few moments he did fall asleep, he was almost immediately awakened by nightmares. He could not stop dreaming of La Pesta Sola. He kept waking up the moment she sunk her fangs into his neck and began to tear at his flesh. The next morning, Gabriel did not report to work. He went to the village center, offered money to anyone willing to drive him home. He didn't care about finishing the job, the promotion. None of it mattered. He only wanted to get home as quickly as possible. When he'd looked in the mirror the night before in his bedroom, he'd seen bloody scratches all over his body, proof that what happened wasn't just in his head. And then he couldn't get Alfredo's story out of his mind and he had to see Maria. He had to make sure she was okay. That night, just as the sun was setting, Gabriel arrived in his hometown. He immediately ran to Maria's house, beating on the door until someone answered. He was met by the tear-stained face of her mother. No, 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 no! He almost shouted, I need to see Maria! Her mother couldn't speak through her sobs. Maria's father came to the door and, barely able to speak himself, informed him that his daughter had died in her sleep the night before. She went to bed feeling fine and never woke up. Doctors suspected she had a stroke. Gabriel broke down. He knew exactly why Maria was dead, but also knew he could never tell her parents the truth. They'd never believe him. La Pesta Sola had killed his beloved Maria. He wished that he'd stayed in the woods that night and let her kill him instead. Or better still, that he'd taken Alfredo's warning. If he had left when Alfredo told him to, they'd both still be alive. But now instead, it felt like they both had died, like he wasn't even really alive without her. Alfredo retired following the job Gabriel left early. Because of Maria's death, Gabriel wasn't punished for cutting out, and he got the promotion he wanted. He was able to buy a house, and he did, but it filled him with no joy. There was no wife, no family to share it with, and there never would be, because La Pesta Sola wasn't done with him. He wouldn't risk endangering anyone else. She followed him. He sometimes saw her a lingering shadow at the edge of the woods, a flash in his periphery. He knew she was there, and that the next time she called for him, he would not resist. He hoped that maybe if he went with her, at least he could die seeing and touching Maria one last time. Ugh, the morbid thought. <laughs> yeah. I'll pretend like it's my former lover killing mm -hmm. me to make it bearable, I yeah. guess. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that legend, so that was a fun one to hear. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with it either. Mm-mm. Yeah, I have a, um, a few you're, pictures. You're going to be going hunting soon with your dad, so you should be careful. Sure, I'll see La Pesta Sola out there. 
I hope not. Because <laughs> if you see her, I die. Ooh. Ew. Okay, At least, well, oh. I have to I kill gonna, her. I was going to say my name's not, Mar- not Maria. That helps. But my middle name is Marie. If I, see so... en- if I see any lady in the woods, I'll kill her. Okay. High five. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is the first picture movie poster for The Curse of La Pesta Solo. Oh, cool. That's a really good poster. Yeah, it is. It was a film that came out actually just uh, earlier this year in January. Oh. Uh, like, like went straight to streaming, like Amazon Prime and stuff. Um, that doesn't even mean anything anymore. When it used no. to be like straight to DVD, it was like, oh, that's shit. Well, there can be some not great anymore. ones now. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, no critical consensus. Uh, not many people have reviewed it. Uh, based on the trailer, they shared a different version of lore or twisted it a bit to give this creature a little bit different abilities than I shared where it kills guys but would take over the bodies of women instead of like appearing oh, like them oh, okay. it would kind of possess them okay yeah uh, next one is an illustration I found on Pinterest no author credited of La Pesta Sola look at her face mm-hmm. she looks mean and then somebody made a statue of this it shows up in a few articles uh, it doesn't say where the statue is located but somebody has a statue of this uh, creature in their garden complete with like uh, the hair stop it yeah. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. No fucking way. If that's at your house and you see that at night. Yeah. Somebody's clearly into some spooky, spooky ooh, stuff. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Not a fan. Oh my God. I just immediately, it's like, uh, it's shape and it's hair is mm-hmm. just lifelike enough. Like if it started to move. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I was waiting for it to start mm-hmm. moving. Yee. Ooh, I didn't like that statue. Imagine going outside and seeing that thing on shrooms. Oh my God. Your head would explode. Imagine not knowing that it was there, going to somebody's house. Oh, my God. That's just a cruel joke. (laughs) Actually, that's not a joke. That is just cruel. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so scary. Mm Mm-hmm. Penny and Ginger would not like that. Yeah, it'd take them all to get used to it. I don't know if they'd fully get used to it ever. Mm -hmm. They'd be, you know, skittish around it. Because, you know, Ginger's still barking at night, only when you're not there. I know. Did we talk about that on the bonus episode? Uh, we did. I but I, we but did. I know it's continued since we've talked about it. Yeah, you guys, the strangest thing is happening where when I am home alone, when Dan's out of town, I go to bed with the dogs. And then right as I'm about to fall asleep, Ginger <laughs> likes to stare at the bedroom door and bark for no reason. Yeah. And she only does it when Dan's not there. Every night. Fun, fun. <sighs> it's so awful. I hate it so much. And I've tried everything, like wearing her out, taking her to puppy daycare, taking her mm-hmm. for walks, playing fetch. Like, I've really, really tried to exhaust her. Yeah. No. No. That's terrible. <laughs> so I just imagine her seeing that outside. Like, Ugh. if she can't even go to bed and not bark, can you just imagine them running outside? They would just do laps around that. Oh, yeah. It would be awful. And then if that thing actually moved menacingly <gasps> towards them, they would immediately <gasps> run back into the house and hide. I just got full body chills. Laugh. <laughs> No thanks. That's a great story. Yeah, I liked it. Mm-hmm. I like it for this time of year too. Like I said about going hunting, we've had like a couple. Mm. I had a hunting story. I wonder if that's what that thing was. Remember, I had that story. Oh man, maybe about a month ago now. Uh, a father and he takes his son hunting every year, mm-hmm. and they have um, they would set up like a pretty big camp, and there mm-hmm. was this older gentleman who was kind of like crotchety, and then one day the dad and the son go to this location while other people are in other places and the son is up in a tree stand and he hears something and he sees something and then he doesn't want to tell his dad because he thinks his dad would just kind of make fun of him but Mm -hmm. he felt a little bit off and then he gets Mm -hmm. back to camp and it's just about bedtime and the old timer looks at him he's like you saw her didn't you Mm -hmm. creepy ooh I like unconnected connections Mm -hmm. good memory thank you uh, do you have any questions, or do you want to? No, I'm ready to just keep moving forward. Okay, okay. Let's uh, let's head to uh, North America for a shorter tale: uh, troubling disappearance 
with some paranormal elements. But first, of course, this is the time for our mid-show sponsor break. Thanks for listening, creeps and peepers. Hope you uh, heard some deals that appealed to you. And now I'll share that disappearance story. So just a little bit of setup here, and then we just jump right in. Do you ever have dreams that seem a little too realistic? All the time. According to sleep studies, even if you don't remember them when you wake up or even remember having any dreams at all, most people, I found this very interesting and surprising, have between three and five dreams a night and dream about two hours a night. Usually when we do remember our dreams, there's nothing to be alarmed about. Even things that feel stressful or strange in the dream often appear silly to us in the waking world, where the bright morning light helps erase any dark feelings left over from the night before. The dreams just don't make any sense. You want to share any uh, recent <laughs> No, I'm just dreams. thinking about this morning when you were standing at the kitchen sink and then, <laughs> and, and then you were like, yeah. my nipples are fine. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then you told me that you had a weird dream about having puffy nipples. Yep. Yep. I was worried about, uh, yeah, <laughs> puffy nipples and tiny testicles. And then I like woke uh, up and I still uh, was like, I was like, wait, is that real? Do I really have puffy nipples? And tiny? Oh God. Okay. okay. Sorry. That's just all I could <laughs> Yeah, that was about. this morning. So, um, so, so yeah. So sometimes for most of us, uh, we're left you know, haunted by dreams that truly go on to terrify us, though. Dreams that might have made us feel trapped inside them, hyper-realistic dreams to leave us wondering if we're still lost inside the reality of the dream when we wake up. Dreams that leave us confused and wondering for a few moments if we'll actually make it back out of them. But then once we're fully awake, our true reality sinks in, we can breathe a sigh of relief, we can shake off the cobwebs of the strange world we're thankful to have left behind. But what if we didn't get that relief? What if we were left with a terrible, eerie feeling that something in our dreams was much more real than just a random assortment of images? What if your dream left you with a powerful sense that something bad was coming for you? It wasn't just a nightmare monster, it was a real monster. If this has happened to you, you may be among the 17 to 38% of people who at least think that they've experienced at least one of what is called a precognitive or premonition dream, a dream that supposedly predicts some future event. Many of these premonition dreams are reported to be innocent, little glimpse of an upcoming adventure or romantic encounter, stuff like that. But occasionally, people report them to be terrifying, even deadly. Like the one poor star of the following story uh, they, they claims to have experienced. Well, may have experienced. I shouldn't have phrased it that way. Time now for the tale of the deadly nightmare. In 1980, 20-year-old Cindy Anderson of Toledo, Ohio, was having bad dreams. Night after night, shortly after falling asleep, she'd find herself starring in the same horror movie scenario. She'd think that she was awake and standing in her bedroom and that someone was coming for her. A dark figure would begin to approach her, the lights flickering overhead as it stepped slowly and menacingly ever forward. Her mind wanted her to run, but her body would be paralyzed. The dark figure continued to approach, assessing her, preparing to strike. It reminded her of the predator she saw on Animal Planet, sizing up their prey. Run! She would try and will herself to do. Just please run. And usually, eventually in these dreams, she would be able to run. But after she'd had this recurring nightmare for months, she knew that running wouldn't help. No matter how she tried to escape, whether she tried to crawl out the window by her bed or to run out the door and down the hall or hide under her bed, the figure would always find her. Sometimes she'd make it out of her front door, past her lawn, out onto the street before, bam, the figure would grab her from behind. Sometimes the figure would shove her into a car. Other times it would start to drag her by her hair down the street while she screamed. No matter what she did, no matter how she was captured, the dream always ended the same. She'd be stabbed over and over and over, her body going limp and bleeding out as the dark figure hurting her promised in a man's voice, No one will ever find you. 
The voice was a voice she recognized, but she could never quite place it. Especially as everything went fuzzy and she saw a bright white light and realized she was dying. Then, thank God, she'd wake up. It was all just a dream. A dream she kept having over and over again. At least she hoped it was just a dream. But then she began to worry it was more than that. After having this dream for months, Cindy became more and more convinced it was real. That she was seeing something that was actually going to happen to her. And she wanted, needed, someone to help her. She told her mother about the dreams, but her mother wrote them off. Said something about Cindy staying up too late, watching too much TV, maybe partying too much with friends. She told her daughter that what Cindy really needed to do was get serious about her life and her career. And then she'd feel more psychologically stable and her nightmares would go away. But Cindy didn't think it was that simple. And she was taking her life seriously. She was only 20 and she was doing fine. She had a good job as a secretary at a legal office. And she wasn't some party animal. She felt like, if anything, she was maybe even a little more mature than most people her age. Cindy will continue to have this nightmare for roughly a year. And as time went on, it grew worse. She'd remember more and more of the bloody final attack when she woke. Sometimes the figure would do something new and terrible to her to make her suffer more than it had the time before. It got harder and harder to shake the details of the dream out of her mind the next day. She began to recall more nonviolent details of the dreams as well. Her attacker's voice became more clear. She swore she knew where that voice came from, but just couldn't quite place it. It was just like a word stuck on the tip of her tongue. She could sometimes remember it so clear the next day, she'd carefully examine the voices of everyone she ran into and spoke with, mentally comparing their voice to the voice from her nightmare, hoping to find a match so she could finally know who to protect herself from. Maybe if she could identify that voice, she hoped the dreams would go away. Then, during the summer of 1981, about a year after the dreams began, Cindy made a plan to change her life, hoping that maybe that would put an end to the dreams. She made plans to attend the Bible college with her boyfriend, in August, and in August of 1981, she put in her two weeks' notice at work. But Cindy Anderson would never make it to college. On August 4th, 1981, Cindy arrived at the legal office for what was supposed to be one of her final days at work. During the morning, she normally worked alone, always kept the door locked for safety. When some of her coworkers arrived at noon the day she vanished, they were surprised at what they found. The doors were all locked like normal. The mail was in its place and a radio, the lights, and the air conditioner were on. Everything was set up like normal, but Cindy was nowhere to be found. A coworker went to look at Cindy's desk, curious to see if she'd left a note explaining that maybe she'd gone to get lunch or something like that. What she found instead was a romance novel, not uncommon for Cindy, although something on the page made this coworker stop in her tracks. The book had been intentionally left open to a page where the main character was abducted violently at knife point. Immediately, the coworker was concerned. But if someone had abducted Cindy, why would they lock the doors when they left? Why didn't Cindy trip the alarm, which she definitely knew how to do? Cindy's car keys and purse were missing, but there was no evidence of a struggle. And again, she had a buzzer on her desk that would alert the building next door if she was in trouble, but she never touched it. But something had to have happened. Her car was still parked in front of the law office. The details around her disappearance were so confusing. Her bank account, which actually had a substantial amount of money in it, would never be tapped. Her social security number would never be used. No calls had been answered at the law office since around 10 that morning, which indicated that was around the time she must have been abducted. The police had a few leads to go on, but those leads ended up just adding to the confusion around her disappearance. A client of the law office Cindy worked at, Larry Mullins, claimed that the day before she vanished, she received a strange call from an unidentified person, and the call upset and scared her. They'd called the office twice while he was there. He asked her if there was something wrong, and she said that she'd been starting to get a lot of these phone calls, but wouldn't say what they were about. Police also found that someone had previously written in graffiti on a wall of a nearby building, I love you, Cindy, by GW. Who was GW? No one knew. 
Cindy had first noticed the graffiti 10 months before her disappearance, and it had been visible for six months before it was finally covered up. Then, just a few weeks later, it reappeared. Police questioned several people with the initials GW, including a maintenance man who happened to have keys to the law office Cindy worked at. While this is obviously suspicious, there just was no evidence that could directly tie him to her disappearance. Then, in September of 1981, a month after she vanished, police received an anonymous tip from a person who claimed that Cindy was being held against her will. The person appeared nervous and refused to give the investigator their name. Uh, She, the voice sounded like a woman's, claimed that Cindy was being held in the basement of a white house, one of two houses, side by side, owned by the same family. She said that the family was out of town, but that their son was home, and he was the one who was holding Cindy captive. But then she hung up before giving the police the address. A few minutes later, she called back, but again, before she would or could give the address, the line went dead, and then the caller would never reach back out, and Cindy Anderson's case went cold. To this day, over 40 years later, no one has any idea what happened to her. Did she run away, start a new life somewhere under a new identity without taking her car, without ever touching the money in her bank account? Seems unlikely. Or did her nightmare become true? In the worst way possible, did the dark man from her dreams finally catch her in real life? And if he did, what did he do to her? Ooh, that is so creepy. Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh. Poor Cindy. Yeah. Cindy, where are you? And that while she had, the, uh, for uh, a year, had this same nightmare and then vanishes. And like, really, like, what can you do about that? Nothing. You can just say, oh, yeah, I'm having a terrible dream. I'm having, I was... Thinking mm-hmm. about this, it's like, what would you even do? Try to, like, go for, I don't know, hypnosis or, like, I don't know, try and drug yourself to sleep better so mm-hmm. maybe you sleep so deeply that the dream doesn't affect you? Like, I would just be thinking, God, I must be so stressed about something. Yeah. I would just assume it's stress dreams. Mm-hmm. That is bizarre. I have a few pictures, just two. First one, photo of Cindy Anderson, taken not long before her disappearance. Yeah. And then this is a picture of that maintenance man with the initials GW, who did have keys to Cindy's law office. Uh-huh. <laughs> what no, is that from? No, I just, I just did a photo search for creepy stalker man. It was uncredited. It looks like a um, Halloween decoration, like a, um, like a dummy that you'd put outside a window just to freak people out. <laughs> I was thinking it looked like some sort of like, uh, what if he just winked right now? I know. Uh, I, I just love it. Like, what if that actually was the maintenance that's man? That's GW. And it's like, come on, guys. Find the evidence. He clearly did it. Um, I feel like he looks like he could be from some sort of like troll movie or something. Oh, yeah. He almost looks like uh, Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> oh, yeah. A little bit, yeah. yeah. He got abducted by Beavis and Butthead. An aged, an aged uh, Butthead. My gosh, actually, though. What a terrifying thing. Mm-hmm. Being abducted in any capacity is yes. truly, might truly be my biggest oh fear in my life. God, it's terrible. Because one, could be aliens, and that's terrifying to me. We all know I don't like that. Like, and if it's humans, it's probably going to be worse than aliens. It's most likely going to be worse. Yeah. Ugh. No one's abducting, abducting anyone with good intentions. No. Yeah. No, no, absolutely not. Ugh. Just that thought alone, I'll be able to focus on that for the rest of the day and just be a little twitchy. Yeah. Like, just looking over my shoulder. I'm like, I'm a strong person, but mm-hmm. I couldn't fight somebody off that was, like, your size. I know. That's I, I wish, like, you know, and again, we don't always have time and everything. I mean, there's not time in everybody's life, but it's like, if, uh, I wish, 
almost like I wish it was part of our education growing up that we had to take self-defense classes. Mm. You know, like like in, like in school, instead of having like PE where you just like learn jumping jacks and running around playing dodgeball, yeah. it's like actually do something with a purpose to mm-hmm. it that's mm-hmm. uh, more applicable to, you know, leading a, a safer life. Hey, I'm going to write this down and make a note. I think that there's somewhere locally that we can do like a self-defense class. I'm just thinking about like Kyler, mm-hmm. you know, going mm-hmm. off to college next year, yeah. walking across a campus, dark, uh, late. If there was a Krav Maga center here in Coeur d'Alene, I would definitely be part of it. I, I love that so much. And I and it was so cool. The class was always about half men, half women, people of all ages, all sizes, from, you know, people in their 70s all the way down to, like, kids, mm-hmm. you know, like, 9, 10, 11 years old kind of age. And the techniques I was so impressed by, I was like, oh, this would work. You know, like, like for women, it just taught, like, for example, um, soft tissue attacks. You're not going to yeah. overpower a guy. Right. But but no matter how strong, a bigger guy, but no matter how strong that guy is, his eyeballs aren't strong. Right, His right, throat right. isn't strong. His testicles aren't strong. I mean, truly, just like very practical. There's no pride in this. There's no, it's just like, what is the most effective thing? And no matter how strong some dude is, if you kick him hard enough in his balls, he's going to go down. And then the same things like kick him hard enough in his knee, Kneecaps, his yeah. knee's going to break. Yeah. You know, it's like you can't, you can't lift your knee into being indestructible. No, but I think it's, uh, I think that subconsciously or consciously, whatever, we mm-hmm. all know that we should do that in that situation. But I think putting people in those scenarios, just like uh, like yeah. a controlled environment. And it's not the same as real life. And, exactly, yeah. exactly. But at least you're learning, like, don't just think about going for it. Here's how you go for it. Like, if, yeah. if they're going to punch, that's when you do it. Like, yeah. Well, and then when you do the sparring step over and over, what the, I mean, I wish I could have done it longer. You're just trying to uh, learn new habits. Yeah, it's so, like muscle memory. Mm, muscle memory. So if uh, a fist, you know, comes towards you or somebody grabs you, yeah. you just always over and over, you practice the same technique of like, technique of like grabbing their thumb. And that would be something for like chokeholds. Yeah. You know, if somebody goes around your neck, you like bend with it and drop your chin so that, so they can't cut off your windpipe. And then you grab a hand in a certain way, same thing. Doesn't matter how strong somebody's hand is. Break a finger, man. If you can bend the finger from the right angle. Oh God, that hurts so much. Yep. They're going to release. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you don't have to be that strong to apply that torque. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and then again, scratch the eyes go for the neck you know i think it's time for a little refresher with our kids Mm -hmm. you know what else our kids don't know how to do cpr that's like another thing like Mm. i think i in school we should learn everybody should learn that too well actually when i I I did i was gonna say when i was in grade school we did they brought in the the dummies and Mm -hmm. like i mean i think that in an emergency i could vaguely remember how to do it Mm -hmm. it's likely that you'll end up with a broken rib but you'll be alive yeah 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 interesting anyways Anyways, dreams, you know, <laughs> dreams of being abducted. Blah. So uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. What's going on in Ohio? I don't know. A lot of stories come out of Ohio lately. Mm-hmm. Ohio, Indiana, I feel like I've like read a lot about. Connecticut, Ohio, Indiana. There are certain states mm-hmm, that just pump out a lot of horror lore compared to other states. Yeah. Like rarely do we hear stories from like the Dakotas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kansas. And some, some of its population, oh, so. you know? Yeah, yeah. But, but, I mean, then there's other states, you know? Um, I mean, California has a, the biggest population of any state. Mm-hmm. Texas. California and Texas, I believe. And I think New York and Florida. I think those are the big four. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we hear stories coming out of those as much as we hear stories coming out of, like, again, Ohio, Connecticut, yeah. Indiana. Not consistently. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I'm trying to think of, like, random states that, like, have we ever? Mm-hmm. Utah, maybe Colorado. Well, I, I bet 
I bet we've covered all the states, except for the Dakotas. I'm telling you, I cannot recall a single Dakota story. I can't either. That's out of my head. Yeah, well, there you have it. But back to Connecticut. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so this story really, really spoke to me. You, um, did, Were you ever a babysitter? Did you ever babysit other than like watch your little sister or cousins or anything? Um, Like for friends. Like I remember like like Sherry's kid, Gavin. I watched oh, him a yeah. few times. Uh, but not like as a teenager. No, I don't think so. I don't. No, I don't think I did. I, I, I think age-wise... Other than my little sister. Right, right, right. But yeah. So you were never like put in, so you were never regularly in someone else's no, home. No, And And had to go there because of work. No. Yeah. So like I babysat a ton. I mean, yeah. it's very common for girls. I babysat a ton when I was a teenager and I was a nanny in college. Like, yeah. so this story, the premise of this is it all occurs while she's babysitting slash nannying. And it's mm-hmm. like, man, what a shitty thing to have to go back to the place of a haunting. Like, you're just, like, stuck because you have to make money, yeah, right? So you have to go back there. Like, you and I, Logan and Tyler, like, we could choose not to come to the studio some days to avoid being here alone. Like, (laughs) you know, work remotely, work from home. But eventually, like, we have to come here, but you wouldn't have to come alone. Mm, Yeah. You know, so it's just, like, such a weird thing to spend so much time in someone else's home. Mm -hmm. You don't really ever... Think about that outside of your own family. Like, obviously, you spend a lot of time at your grandparents' house and whatnot. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Being in somebody else's home, I think, is inherently kind of creepy, anyways, because you don't know the sounds that their house makes. Mm-hmm. So let's find out what Katrina's got going on up in Connecticut. Okay. Hey, Dan and Lindsay. My peeper husband said mm-hmm. I have to say that he's a space lizard in my email. Aww. So I'm getting that right out of the way from the get-go. We're newlyweds, so I still care to do things that make him happy, but I'm told <laughs> that goes away the longer we're married. Not true. Yeah, it doesn't have to. Nope, it's up to you. Anywho's it, I wanted to share with you my haunting in Connecticut. Buckle up, because this is a wicked long story, but it's well worth sticking it out. Okay. I have goosebumps while even writing to you about this. Okay. Deep breath. Here we go. It was 2012, and I was really struggling financially. Through some connections, I was offered a full-time summer nanny gig in Connecticut, about 45 minutes outside of New York City. I was attending college in Maine. I gladly accepted and moved there immediately. It was an incredibly historic and wealthy small beach town, so the pay was killer, and they even set up a free place for me to stay. On my first day on the job, the mom I was nannying for told me she had a friend named Claudette that lived a few blocks away. Apparently, Claudette could use a babysitter on a more sporadic date night occasion as she had had a high turnover on babysitters. So they set up an interview for me to make some extra cash. Claudette's home was immaculate. It was built in the 1800s, but they'd since added a brand new addition to the back of the home with a restaurant-style white marble kitchen with subway tiles, open-concept living room, and a back porch. The kitchen had a gorgeous rectangular mirror that was angled to face the front door, but you could also see into the original part of the home when looking at the mirror from the living room. The dining room was was in the original part of the home, but Claudette's husband told me he'd prefer to eat in the kitchen or living room as he and Claudette gave me a tour of their home. There was also a half bathroom in the original part of the house with a black antique doorknob. From the original part of the home, there was a gigantic staircase that twisted slightly, and upstairs there were three bedrooms and two baths. The entire upstairs was the original 1800s. Claudette said they'd love to have me watch five-year-old Penny while they ran to the grocery store and asked if I'd be willing to stay there on a short trial run. Penny and I played in the new edition of the home the hour they were gone. I passed the test and thus began my haunting in Connecticut. 
The first night with Penny alone, we spent all of our time in the new addition of the home or in the backyard. When it got to be bedtime, it was the first time I stepped into the original area of the home without Claudette or her husband present. I can still vividly remember that first step. It felt like stepping into a walk-in cooler. The air felt thicker. Penny was well ahead of me and was not phased by this drastic difference in atmosphere. She sprinted upstairs to her bedroom as she allowed, was allowed to spend 30 minutes playing before brushing her teeth and crawling into bed for her one bedtime story. I immediately felt uncomfortable being alone, so I hurried upstairs with her. It settled down a bit while we were playing, but as soon as she got up to use the restroom and left me alone in the bedroom, I immediately got a chill and the feeling that someone was watching me. As soon as she came back from the bathroom, the chill subsided. I tucked Penny into bed, I stayed with her until she was asleep, and I kid you not, as soon as she was out, the chill came back. I actually ran to the new addition living room, and the feeling went away as soon as I stepped through the archway. It had got to the point that when I babysat Penny, I wouldn't use the bathroom the whole time I was there, as all the bathrooms were in the original portion of the home. I would stay with her the whole time we were in the original part of the home. It feels foolish now to think back on feeling safer when around a five-year-old. Thankfully, she was at the age where it wasn't weird that I went into the bathroom with her <laughs> while she brushed her teeth at night. I also made her start using the restroom downstairs in the half bath before we went upstairs for our 30 minutes of play and the bedtime story. That way, I could wait in the living room of the new portion of the home for her to come out as I couldn't handle being in the original portion of the home alone. My little setup seemed to be working, and the only time I felt the unease and rush of cold was the solo walk, often a run, that I did from Penny's bedroom to the new addition after I tucked her in. When I ran down the stairs, I would feel the chilly brush of cold air on my arm, leg, or shoulder. I always only felt it on one part of my body while running down the stairs into the new addition. The best way I could explain that feeling was like on a windy day, if you had the windows open and the curtains brushed your arm or a cat jumped up on the couch next to you, sitting and their tail gently swept across your skin. I kept telling myself, it's all in my head, but still I wouldn't spend any time in the original portion of the home alone for months. One evening, I was downstairs playing with Penn when Claudette called and said they had had friends who wanted to join them for dinner last minute and the reservation would have to be pushed back a few hours. I told her it was fine, and she said to go ahead, have a few beers from the fridge, and they'd drive me home afterwards if I needed, as they felt bad for the last-minute change. I didn't have much of a life outside of nannying for 50 hours a week, so it wasn't a big deal to me at the time. It should have been a big deal, as their reservation change led to the scariest night of my life. After getting Penelope into bed, I decided to have a beer. Pretty soon, I had to use the bathroom. Fuck. <laughs> I distinctly remember thinking, what am I doing drinking? It took me a long time to muster up the courage to go to the bathroom. I even thought about going outside to relieve myself or using the kitchen sink as a toilet, but I'm pretty certain they had indoor cameras, so that wasn't an option. I slow jogged, or slogged as one might say, <laughs> to the bathroom, which was on the left, about four feet, four feet past the threshold of where old and new met, and immediately I locked the door behind myself. The doorknob had a keyhole underneath it, and you had to put the key in and turn it to lock the door. I did this and double-checked it, and then proceeded to use the ice box that was the half-bathroom. I then heard footsteps that creaked down the stairs and stopped in front of the bathroom door. I was freaked out, but I told myself it was likely Penny, as I had left her room before she had fully fallen asleep, as I didn't like for her to be asleep when I left. <laughs> Even with the bathroom door shut, I had a feeling that someone was watching me. 
When I opened the bathroom door, Penny was nowhere to be found. I ran up, up the stairs to find her asleep. I then ran back down and into the living room. And for the first time in a few minutes, it felt like I could breathe. I remember audibly exhaling when I stepped through the archway into the newer portion of the home. I think I held my breath the whole run to the bedroom and back. About an hour later, I realized I had broken the seal and had to use the restroom once again. I keep thinking back to this night, and even though I'm positive it happened, it feels like it doesn't even sound real. I repeated my slog to the bathroom, locked the door, and as I sat there freezing, going to the bathroom, I heard the footsteps again. They stopped at the door. I could feel eyes penetrating the door. I stood up to wash my hands, and the antique door handle wiggled. Oh, my God. Holy shit. The door handle wiggled, (laughs) and the door swung open, even though the key never turned. I ran into the kitchen and washed my hands there. I called a few friends, but it was so late that most everyone was already asleep. I watched How I Met Your Mother and paced around. It was awful. Finally, I heard the front door open. It was weird, though, because I didn't hear the car pull in. It was still earlier than I was expecting to see the parents. I grabbed my bag and coat and looked up to see the back of the husband's head and shoulders in the mirror's reflection in the kitchen. He was walking into the original part of the house. I could hear him on the creaky staircase. Fumbling, I put on my coat, spewing out a few quick words, asking Claudette how their night was, saying I wasn't expecting them for a little while. I'd only had one beer and I was okay to drive myself home. Claudette didn't reply, though. I looked and realized their car wasn't in the driveway. Claudette was nowhere to be seen. I sat back down, confused, wondering, okay, did Claudette stay out and her husband came home early as I had seen his reflection in the kitchen mirror? But then I got a text from from Claudette. I was unsure of how much time had passed from when I saw him and when she texted me. I was in such a daze. She said they had just gotten their checks and would be paying and home soon. Oh my God. The man I saw in the mirror wasn't Claudette's husband after all. I quit the next day. Thankfully, at this point, it was only a few weeks before college started, so I used that excuse that I wanted to spend some time at home before I went back to my senior year of college. That week, I finished my last shift of nannying for the full-time family. The mom asked me to stay for a drink, as I had seemed a bit off to her since my last shift. Over our drink, I asked her if she'd ever heard anything weird about Claudette's house. That's all I said. Weird. It was the first time I said anything to her or Claudette about the chills and feelings of being watched. I didn't say anything about the male reflection in the mirror or the bathroom door opening. The mom's face contorted, like she was thinking really hard. And then she said, of course she didn't tell you. She then told me a story that still makes me feel scared to my core to this day. She said that when Claudette and her husband moved into the home before they were pregnant with Penny, she often felt a sense of unease. For years, Claudette claimed that the heat didn't seem to work in the original part of the home, and she felt like somebody would be following her around. When they started working on the new addition, it got really, really bad, to the point where Claudette hired a team from New York to come to the house and see if any spirits or ghosts were living there. After multiple days of various tests, they told Claudette that there was a female spirit who lived in the home alone, but she was feeling unrest because her sweetheart couldn't come visit. The mom told me that she was told that the sweethearts had died together on the same day back in the 1920s, but she couldn't remember exactly how. The investigative team asked Claudette if she'd give this female spirit permission to invite her love to enter the home, who lived just a few doors down. 
they performed some seances and connected with the spirits and they decided to allow the male spirit to enter the home. They came to an agreement that the spirits were not to bother Claudette or her family and that her sweetheart could come and go as he pleased, but they were to stay in the female spirit's original home when visiting. The mom also told me that she personally believed the spirit to be jealous of other females in the home and that's why she had scared off all the other babysitters. When the male spirit visited the home, they spent all of their time upstairs in the bedrooms, but when he was not visiting, she would pace around wondering who or what he was doing and often it filled her time following and often her time was filled following around any visitors in the original home what in the actual fuck jeepers creepers telling that story in full really gives me the heebie-jeebies I'm so glad that I got to go back to college in a different state so I had a good excuse to quit. I do think that sometimes things can be in your head when it comes to spooks, but the fact that I had all of these feelings and experiences before ever hearing anything about the spirits or the haunting in that house makes me certain it wasn't in my head. Alrighty then, thanks for listening. I need to go and take a sage bath. (laughs) My husband and I adore you both. Keep doing what you do. Cheers, Katrina. Thanks, Katrina. Yeah, that was a really creepy story. I didn't see the doppelganger stuff coming. No, no, it was a nice little addition at the end. And it was, she saw the guy in the mirror, but she didn't see Claudette, right? She just assumed Claudette was there because he was there. Right, because she just assumed that it was the husband coming. Like, they had gone to dinner together. Yeah, she saw the back of the guy's head, assumes that it's the husband in the mirror, Mm -hmm. and is like, and thinks she hears, well, she thought she heard the car pull up in the driveway, I believe, before that. She didn't hear the car, but she heard the front door, and then she had that moment of like, that's weird, I didn't hear the car, but like, you know. Yeah, and then, and then the, didn't see the car in the driveway. Like, she yeah. didn't hear anybody come home. She just saw him, I think, right. actually. And, 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 yeah, and it sounds like that happened not, I mean, because they were uh, squaring up with their tab mm-hmm. early, but not crazy early. So it was, like, plausible that they would come home at that time. Yeah, and it's like, I, I mean, I think about this from a babysitter's yeah. standpoint. It's like, well, he could have taken an Uber. Like, he could have not mm-hmm. felt well. Like, whatever. He could have came home first. And then the wife was going to follow later. Who I mean, that would Ugh. be beyond uh, chilling to, to experience that, like see a, a human figure in the mirror, Ugh. hear it go up the stairs, and then get a text from the people like, hey, we'll be home in a little bit. And then the, obviously like the, I mean, I'm really getting chills, the, yeah. do, the door kicking open and stuff uh-huh. on its own. Well, I know. What's really weird about that story is, is like this investigative team having all these rules. I haven't heard of that before. We're like inviting another spirit to come in. And then getting them to agree. I find that fascinating mm-hmm. where it's like, how could you, like, the rules seem so weird. I, yes and no. I guess it made sense to me. I mean, I can definitely hear where you're coming from. Yeah. But to me, it made sense. In I just that- mean in general for the spirit world. Like, these things will, like, stay in a place, but only if you don't bother people. And they'll agree to that. It's like, what? But there's no, how could there be any punishment for them not agreeing to that? I guess they could get saged out of the house or something? I guess. Or, like, they could, in this situation, they could not let the male lover be with her, like right, like, but, but like, how could they okay, not okay. let that? Okay, okay, okay. But it's just that thing that we say, like, uh, if we are feeling something in our home and it's stuck, mm-hmm. you have to like give it permission to go. You have to tell it to go. It's like maybe it's the same, like if and that thought that yeah. like if you don't acknowledge it, it yeah. can't bother you. So it's like since they know it was trying to like get to his lover, maybe it was just a simple thing of like it needed permission to come in. I know that. Uh, yeah, I, I get that. It's just. I'm fascinated by the fact that these things can respond to permission, possibly. You know, it like makes as, sense to as, me. as opposed to just like going where they want to go because they're dead. But if they're confused and stuck in some weird, it's like they're 
Yeah, it's like they're in between places. It's like mm-hmm. there's some like, which is, I guess, what they always say, like you can go on to this next place. Yeah. What what an in- interesting thing to be like in this limbo yeah. where you're kind of sentient. You're kind of aware of what's going on and you can mm-hmm. do things because you can respond to people in the real world. Yeah. But you're not moving on to some next world. Like you have like limited abilities. You can like hang out, but like just in this house and well, not in the new addition to the house. Well, and I think that I, I, hmm. I, I to me, that part, weirdly made sense where it's like okay well these two people were in love and they were only in the old part of the house like that was their house or Mm -hmm. they died in that house together whatever it is i mean i think it's kind of funny where it's like okay yeah no you can be here you just keep yourself you stay over there we're gonna have a dinner party in the new part of the house but you stay in the old part of the house we don't want our guests scared but it's like i don't know i think it's kind of funny do you find it fascinating that there is the potential that you can direct these spirits i love it actually oh yeah it's great but but isn't it isn't it like, like, why would they allow themselves to be directed by anybody in this world? Well, why would they allow us to banish them with... Right, uh, that like, to all of it. All of it all is of just it. so strange. But we've never explored that as a thought, you know? Yeah. It's like, why not? What, like, yeah, why can't they just be like, no, fuck you, I'll just go wherever I want. I'll come in your house, I'll scare you. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> like, it's, yeah. I'm just fascinated by all of that. That, that, that there can be, a, that we can interact potentially with these things. Mm-hmm. And not only interact, but influence them. Mm-hmm. And be but like, it, hey, it, you can stay here, but you gotta, you gotta be cool. Yeah, no, I totally get that. <laughs> I, th- I think that we've inadvertently actually explored that because we've talked about like getting yeah. rid of things or mm-hmm. letting it in, acknowledging it, not yeah. acknowledging it. It's like this actually isn't a new concept. And no, I don't, I just don't no. think we've seen it in this format of like, hey, we'll be cool with you coming and hanging out. Yeah. with your lover. Yeah, that, upstairs in the yeah. bedrooms. That's the twist is, is saying yeah. like you can come over here, but you have to stay in the new spot, and then uh-huh. and then just really them really respecting that, which has made me think of like so many stories we've covered. I think about like in England where they have, uh, and I guess in America in some places too, but more common in Europe, those, what do they call them? Um, row houses mm-hmm. where it's like there's the, the edge of your property, the wall on the edge of your house is also the wall for the house next to you. Oh, a townhouse? Yeah, I guess like a townhouse. Yeah, like I think of them like those old World War II post- yeah, yeah, yeah. row houses. Yeah, like in, like in we would now call them a townhouse. A townhouse? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And there's been examples of a spirit haunting one part of it. Right, right, right. But not the next so one. So why don't you just float through that wall? Yeah, there's just like one. There's, just, there's go, more go, people over there. Go four feet over and harass those people. Right, right. But they don't. Yeah, I, I mean, we're not ever really going to have answers to this, Mm-mm. but it. my guess is that just the way that like we're attached to our homes mm-hmm. like okay if you live in an apartment you're not just going to like knock on your yeah. on your bedroom wall and talk to your neighbor you're not going to yeah. just go into their house and take their food just cuz you share a wall or a space so i mean i guess i guess it's like some weird like respect thing like nope this is my space i'm attached to this space because this is where i live or i'm attached to you because you're my person i'm not attached to your yeah. neighbor you know jonathan because he's not my person I, there's got to be something in there and they're not like a full entity it makes me think that a lot of these like paranormal you know spirits whatever are not like a they're not a complete entity in the sense that they have total autonomy mm-hmm. and, and, and just mm-hmm. are, are like mm-hmm. doing whatever they want. They're a remnant of something that existed in this world. But like I wonder a if they shadow. know that. I wonder if they know that. Or do I, I they live in a space where they think that they're a full, right. full-fledged hum- human, mm-hmm. whatever, being. It's like when spirits that like if somebody who got killed show up in the manner they got killed, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, with a neck wound or mm-hmm. something and they keep showing up in the space where they were killed. Yeah, it is like this little echo and this, this, yeah, this, some, like this something stuck in this loop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sad, really. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why you have to tell them to move on. That's why you have to push mm-hmm. them out. I did think it was uh, of the choices that Claudette and her family could make. It's like or you could have just tried yeah. to banish both of them. That's what I was surprised. And then not 
have to deal with like mm-hmm. it being freezing cold yeah, in part of, of your house or yeah. it did make me think about how our basement is always so cold which i know is just the, way the nature rises, of houses yeah. are but i was like oh no because <laughs> i do remember having uh monique at our house and you know she came to cleanse the house mm-hmm. and deal with whatever was going on there and she was so incredibly drawn to the basement uh, it wasn't bad oh, it wasn't like we had yeah. anything bad in the house if you recall like it was just yeah. like something was hanging around mm-hmm. and it just like she moved from room to room trying to find the heart of the home and mm-hmm. and figure out like where the energy was emanating from. And there was one spot in the basement and it would directly correlate to, I mean, obviously a spot above, Yeah, you know, so then she would go upstairs and stand in that same spot mm-hmm. and it would feel mm-hmm. also like, huh, heavy, mm-hmm. thick. That's yeah, fascinating stuff. It really is. And then the last thought I had in this story was just, um, the bathroom is just a, a bummer of a place to feel oh, uh, this presence just when you're the most vulnerable. Kind of obviously like the shower. Yeah. But next to the shower, um, going to the bathroom. Totally. Like when your pants are down around your ankles or whatever. I mean, you couldn't run. <laughs> right. You just, At least in a shower, yeah, you'd be slippery, vulnerable. but you could really move. Mm-hmm. I know. I thought Ugh. like the, I can picture that kind of like, you know, black doorknob handle with the mm-hmm, keyhole mm-hmm. cut out. And fascinating that the key had to be in. Like the Clearly didn't modernize that door. So it was like, in order to lock it, the key had to be in place. Yeah, like an old skeleton key looking yeah. thing, yeah. And then for it to just fly open. Yikes. No. Katrina's pretty brave. She continued to go back. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. She needed to make money. And it wasn't that scary until it was. Yeah. That was a great story. Great story. Great. Do you want to hear about my family of dolls? <laughs> I do, this I do. Is like, and I was just messing around. I saw you looking at me. I just had to like this thing. I, I bumped my little mute button. Oh. And it's Velcro attached. So yeah. it popped off. So I didn't want to be holding it for the rest of the show. Why not? So I just had to mush it back up to the table. I know. We have these like little so that we can take drinks or, you know, if we have like a little sniffle or whatever, it's uh, called a cough block. And you just kind of like press this little button and it gives you just a little second of reprieve so you can mm-hmm. have a sip without you guys having to hear it. We try to be really cognizant We're of that. We're both sensitive to mouth noises and uh, and like mic etiquette that way Ooh, buddy. where it is a pet peeve of mine and, and there are some really talented people really talented storytellers really talented uh podcasters who are just also in my opinion just kind of cretins of human beings mm-hmm. and it's just eat the mic yep just like oh just gonna have a sandwich on mic oh cool thanks cool. for that i'll i can i can i don't care how good your story is i will now never listen to your podcast again but there are plenty of people that don't some people have, don't it yeah, doesn't bother doesn't we bother just have them. that that mesa phony that where it's like it bothers me tremendously mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if somebody's like sipping a drink on mic i'm like oh well God. and i'm out forever listen this morning i was giving the kids their vitamins and adrenal cocktails mm. and uh, they were <laughs> Poor Monroe. I mean, she knows how much it drives me crazy. Like, Kyler, oblivious, doesn't care that it makes us nuts. Yeah. Unless he hears it in his own head and then he'll kind of stop and look around. Oh, the way he drinks? Mm-hmm. Oh, just like... Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't know how to drink other than gulp? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. eat. It's right. always like... he's all, it's, it's like... Kyler has like prison eating habits. <laughs> it's like some... It's, yes. It's, it's ridiculous. It's like every meal is like how fast and how few of breaths can I take mm-hmm. to get all of this food to my stomach? Mm-hmm. And then drinking, it's like, I, I'm going to drink this as if, if I don't drink this in six seconds, somebody bigger than me is going to come take my stuff. Yeah, I've been in a desert for days. I'm so mm-hmm. thirsty. But I don't Mon- know where that comes from. But Monroe, I think, can like see it in my face. I try to stay calm. I know it's not her fault. I mean, she has to drink, yeah. but she's taking her vitamins this morning. And adrenal cocktail, <laughs> you drink four ounces of this thing. Yeah. And she was like gulping it, slurping it around in her mouth. Mm-hmm. I almost killed her. <laughs> Anyways, dolls. Dolls. Dolls are always creepy. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, unless they're like so unrealistic. Yeah. But when they have that uncanny valley effect and just like, ugh. But they just, 
they creep me out. And I'm so grateful that Monroe was never really that attached to a doll. Mm-hmm. She was really into Layla for a little bit, but Layla wasn't, she, yeah. I mean, she definitely looked like a doll. Yeah. And just like era wise, I mean, there's still like no dolls creepier to me than the 19th century, early 20th century, like the porcelain dolls. Yeah. I mean, really through like the 50s, even up until the 60s. And then it just got like with the cabbage patch and stuff. I love my cabbage patch. They got a little softer and sillier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and they don't feel, uh, or they feel more harmless for whatever reason. But those old timey dolls with their little glass eyeballs Uh and the little eyelids that when you tilt their head, like, you know, close and open. Yeah, they're fucking creepy. Bratz dolls always freaked me out, too. Oh, those don't bother me, but I know oh, what you're talking really about. Those really bothered me. Well, They have unfortunate proportions with their big old heads and their skin I know, bodies. but it somehow makes me really uncomfortable. Mm. I don't know. Well, regardless, I'm super happy that Monroe was not attached to a doll because in this story, we have a little girl who's very attached to a doll, and it gets real strange, okay. real uncomfortable. Hey. I have a cousin named Michaela who's 10 years younger than me. And because of this, I'm often asked to babysit for her, which I have no problem with. She's a sweet, quirky girl who I enjoy hanging out with. A few years ago on her birthday, Michaela received a gift from her mother. It was a raggedy doll in a colonial dress. Michaela quickly grew attached to the doll and named it Betsy. And Betsy went everywhere with Michaela. My mother soon found a similar doll and gave it to Michaela as well. Michaela named her Emma. Betsy and Emma would sleep in bed with Michaela and go with her when she left the house. It all seemed very natural for a young girl. Soon after Michaela received the dolls, strange things started to happen surrounding Betsy and Emma. One day, I was helping Michaela pack a bag for a trip. I ran over the checklist in my head when I remembered the dolls. I pointed to her bed and asked, Are you bringing the dolls? Michaela's smile dropped off her face. She stared at me with both fear and anger, her face scrunched up in a scowl. Don't use that word, she growled. What word? I asked, clearly confused. Doll, she huffed. They're not dolls, they're people. They're the family. Michaela stood, carefully collected Betsy and Emma, and refused to talk to me for the rest of the day. This word correction became a huge deal between Michaela and the rest of the family. Anyone who referred to Betsy and Emma as dolls received a dangerous glare and a loud argument. It got to the point where we only whispered the word, even when Michaela wasn't there. And still, the family went with her everywhere. (laughs) At one point, I slept over her house to watch her over a weekend. At the time, Michaela had collected up to four more people to add to her family. Too many people to keep in her bed, so Betsy and Emma stayed in her bed while the others stayed in the extra room. During this sleepover, I had to sleep in the extra room. Over the years, I have developed a weird dislike for the family. Mm -hmm. The way Michaela played with them and spoke of them sent shivers down my spine and made me incredibly uncomfortable. As I settled into the extra room, I set my bag on the bed and began to unpack. Suddenly, a sharp scream shot through the room. I turned around quickly to see Michaela standing in the doorway. I had not heard her come in, nor nor had I heard her walk down the hall to my room. She again had that look of horror and anger on her face. Nicole, she shouted at me. I began to panic, thinking something was wrong. I rushed over to Michaela and asked her what was happening. She merely raised a small finger and pointed at the bed. You touched them. They're not happy, she told me. I looked over my shoulder at the bed to see that, while unpacking, I had accidentally knocked over some of the people in the family. Not happy, she whispered again. (laughs) I stood walking slowly over to the bed and reached out to fix them. Michaela, however, pushed past me and set them back into place. 
They don't want you to do it, she said looking at me. Needless to say, I quickly became terrified. That night, after Michaela had gone to bed, I returned to the extra room. I stood in the doorway for a moment, thinking about moving to sleep on the couch in the living room instead of the bedroom, but I just laughed. I thought, you're being ridiculous. They're just dolls. Just dolls. I stepped over to the bed, moving quickly as though if I slowed down, I would realize what I was doing. I stacked the dolls on the nightside table, climbed into bed, and quickly fell asleep. I awoke the next morning to hear the dog scratching at the back door, so I moved through the house to let him outside. While I stood, staring out the back door at the dog, another scream rippled through the house. I ran to Michaela's room, but she wasn't there. I started racing to each room until I found her. There she was, in the extra room. Her back to me, and Betsy and Emma clutched in her hands. Without turning around, I heard her puff out thick breaths. Her shoulders rose and fell slowly, but I could feel how upset she was. You moved them, she muttered. I told you not to. They're so angry, Nicole, and Betsy is not happy with you. She turned around but did not look at me. She just pushed past me out the door. I stood motionless in the doorway staring at the members of the family on the nightside table. After that incident, I tried to stay away from the family. I wouldn't even bring them up in conversation. I still get chills thinking about them. Whenever Michaela brought Betsy or Emma anyplace, they were not allowed near me. But this was not my doing. Michaela would tell me that they didn't want to sit with me. Even if they were to be near me, it was always Emma that I was allowed to touch and talk to. Betsy was always mad at me, Michaela told me. The summer following all of this, Michaela and I stayed with our aunt and cousin, Marie. Our lives there were pretty routine. We'd wake up, have breakfast, go swimming, I'd take a nap, and then we'd just wander around the neighborhood until dinner. As per usual of our visits to our aunt's house, I slept in Marie's room with Marie while Michaela stayed in the guest room. This was because Michaela was so much younger and had an earlier bedtime. One of these days after swimming, I fell asleep in Marie's room. I awoke to everyone in the room talking and joking around. I nudged Marie to let her know that I had been woken up and she nodded. She asked if everyone could leave or if they wanted to stay, could they be quiet because I was taking a nap. My aunt and uncle soon left the room. I laid on the bed, my eyes still shut, and I could hear Michaela talking, seemingly to herself, but she asked questions and then would pause and then continue as if someone had responded. However, no one had, of course. Marie was sitting beside me on her phone, not saying a word. I squinted my eyes open to try and see what was going on. Michaela was sitting in the corner of the room, her back to us, facing the sharp corners of the room. She continued her talking, hunched over with her legs crisscrossed. Suddenly, she stood up, and as she turned around, she revealed that Betsy was clutched in her hands. I'll go, but Betsy wants to stay, she told Marie. Before Marie could say anything, Michaela walked over to the bed where I was and laid Betsy down right next to my head. Michaela tugged on the blanket, pulling it up over Betsy's body, and then patted the top of Betsy's head and whispered, Behave, Betsy. Then, in a very young girl fashion, she skipped out of the room. Once the door was shut, I scrambled out of the bed and away from Betsy. Marie looked at me rather confused. I opened my mouth to say something, but instead just walked out of the room. To this day, I refuse to go near the dolls. However, Michaela continues to push Betsy on me, whether it's laying her with me or making me play with her. I am terrified of the family. Thanks for reading, Nicole. <laughs> Michaela is creepy. Michaela's creepy, and those dolls need to be burned right now. <laughs> right. right now, right now, right now. Because it sounds like Michaela was fine until she got the damn dolls. Um, it's so interesting how 
one word, one like modifier uh-huh. can make a phrase so much creepier. Yeah. If she referred to her dolls as a family, uh-huh. not nearly as creepy as the, the family. family. Totally. I know I had those same thoughts. <laughs> like that phrasing is some for some reason terrifying. It's terrifying. And also kind of weird that there's just two of them in the family. Well, no, she collected more, so now she's got up to four. Four oh, or more. I just knew uh, uh, the names of Emma and Betsy seem to be like the... Those the most the, important. They were the first two. I know it was the Betsy, then Emma. Mm-hmm. But they, but Betsy and Emma were the family before there was any more. Right, and then and then she got more dolls and added them to the family. Those right. were the ones that were in the extra room that Nicole yeah. got in trouble for moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that Betsy, because Betsy got mad about that. Uh-huh. But now, but now, <sighs> by the end of the story, Betsy is a fan of Nicole. Is a fan of Nicole? Yeah, because well, like, yeah, because oh, Michaela's always trying to um, pawn or saying that Betsy wants to spend time with Nicole. I liked it when when she was like not happy. Not happy. I'm like, if some little kid was holding onto dolls telling me the doll was not happy with me, but then was like very serious and stern, I'm like, well, shit. Yeah, the tone of that, because it, it, it could just read as like, this is just a weird kid. Yeah. But like just the consistent tone, <laughs> it's very creepy. I know. Nicole, you have to get the dolls and you have to burn them. Oh, my gosh. Are you, I, are you I was drawing? Gonna, I was going to show you just with a couple lines how different like little Layla can live here. Oh, she looks like... um. Like oh, Stewie. Stewie, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here, I'll try. Like, Stewie! <laughs> oh my God, that's so creepy. You could you could have like a whole little family of Stewies. <laughs> that would that would actually be kind of creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If a bunch of them looking like that. Uh-huh. Oh, man. Oh, why'd you do that to Obino Layla? I, well, just thinking about dolls, having this little doll. It's like this little doll felt so, like, you know, plain. I know they're supposed to be drawn on. Yeah. And then I was just like seeing, well, initially I was just going to make a few marks to make it look creepy. Yeah. And then show it to you. But then he just started to look cute. So then I was, you know. So he's cute and creepy. Much yeah. like Michaela. <laughs> and the fa- the family. The family. The family. I know every once in oh, a while uh, a story just like with a phrase, I'm Ugh. like, ooh, that should be the name of the episode. I mean, I know like you and Logan come up with those episode names, mm-hmm. but I'm like, I mean, and I'm not even saying this needs to be the one for this one, but I'm like, ooh, the family. I know, not it's a family, like, not like family haunting, the family. And interesting that this one's ongoing. I know. I would like an update. So I don't mm-hmm. know how long ago this was sent in just because of the yeah. way that I pick. I often don't look at the year. I don't know exactly how, unless I missed it, which I don't think I did, how old Nicole or Michaela are. No, I don't know. Well, mm-hmm. she Nicole's married because at the beginning she says, oh, wait, no. Is that the first one? That was the first story. That was Katrina yeah, yeah, that yeah, said, like, yeah, my yeah, space yeah. lizard husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Nicole sounds like she, I bet Nicole is, like, early 20s. Hmm. That's mm-hmm. my guess. Because if she's, like, or babysitting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me go I wonder back. how old Michaela is. I'm guessing... Eight-ish? Yeah, I was going to say, and the story started like six, seven, yeah, eight. Yeah. 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 So this, this could be going on for a while. This could go on for quite a while longer. Uh, yeah, unless you do I what I what, say, which is burn the dolls. And I wonder what Michaela would say about all this. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, see, I have a cousin named Michaela who's 10 years younger oh, than did, me. I, oh, 10 years young. Oh, so, so we still don't like... So if, no. let's, like, if Michaela is like... Six but, or six seven. Yeah, then Nicole's like 16, mm-hmm. 17. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what, it's just all creepy. And Nicole, you have my permission to get rid of those dolls. <laughs> I don't care what your family says. I'm the boss. Well, if no one else is around and it's like, you know, Michaela couldn't prove that it's Nicole mm-hmm. doing it, just take them and go burn them. I would. I absolutely would. And take all video it, when yeah. you do it because I feel like something's going to come out of that doll when you burn it. Some sort of like extra creepy black mister. Maybe there will be some screaming or something. I don't know. Something is not right mm-hmm. with the dolls. Ugh. But first, let's take out Betsy because Betsy might be the ringleader. 
Yeah. Because it all started with Betsy. Mm-hmm. You have to get Betsy and Emma. Those are the, first, the, the ones that have to be taken out first. For some reason, my gut tells me Betsy's the problem. If you got rid of Betsy, I don't think Emma would be a problem. Oh, man. I don't know why I think that. <laughs> I spent too much time thinking about this story. Good stories. Thank you, friend. Yeah. Both of them really creeped me out. Good. I know. I liked yours, too. Mm-hmm. Do you want to, for this Halloween week episode, do you want to... Uh, Thanks, some um, Annabelles. I do. Thank you. I'd like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us on Patreon. Zach Bassler, Audra Kudritz, Lisa Brady, Heather Duke, Luke Hayes, Logan Spiker, Ashley Luce, Marianne Kyles, Stuart Tucker, Tyre, Tyler Heelman, Caleb Siffers, Liz, no last name, Brent Jackson, Ruth Phillips, Heidi Walls. This is a cute one. Give me what I want, what I really, really want. <laughs> spooks. Spice Girls. No, Spooks. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, Justin Green, Chloe Vincent, Lachlan Grant, Derricker Collier, Isaiah Jones, Thea Olivia Gonzalez, Sam Dixon, a.k.a. Can Dummins, <laughs> <laughs> Maria Giovanna, Shay Bogus... Mm, P.O. Bogos, I, yeah, I practice this one. Mm-hmm. I think it's Bogosian. Carmela Bogosian? Gonzalez. B O G O S S Y A N. I don't know. Bogosian. Shay Bogosian. Yeah. And Carmela Gonzalez. Well, thank you, all, all of you, Annabelles. And thank the, I'd like to thank the following Annabelles as well for supporting us on Patreon. Jessica Houston. I feel like there was an actress named Jessica Houston. Angelica Houston. Angelica Houston. You're welcome. Uh, Sarah Filtz, Sam Gardner, Graham Park. Jacob Taylor, Samantha Lane, Dr. Spicy Brinza. All right. Caden, Joe Grundy. <laughs> Grundy's very close to Grundle. Sorry, Grundy. <laughs> Veron- they really appreciate that. <laughs> Ver- Veronica Petrago, Marilyn Mutria, uh, Catherine Garcia, Nick Fielder, Shay Chumley, Stephanie Dorvinen, Ali Bastian, Jordan Gottschalk. Yeah, Gottschalk. Uh, Madison Jessup, Caleb Hayes, Christine. <laughs> um, <laughs> this one, uh, okay. It. Uh, I feel bad reading this one. Why? Syn- uh, syndrome of a down. That's what they put in there. That's like, what they wrote. I know. Well, system of a down. Yeah, but I see what they did there. Uh, I jo- mean, Josh Ostick, Amy Rush, Mitchell Tins, Shannon, uh, Shannon Bione. Bioni, a.k.a. Ham Gurgles. I, I know Ham Gurgles. Ham Gurgles. Yeah. All right. Spoopy shout outs. To Brittany from Bryce. Happy birthday to my beautiful wife. To Elena from Chelsea. Happy birthday. To Katie from Brad. Happy anniversary. To Coraline from your mom and dad. Happy birthday. To, Dim- to Dimitri from K-Mom. Happy birthday, kiddo. Love you. To Katie from your mom, Kimberly, happy birthday. Hope it's happy and frightful. And to Troy from Alex, happy fifth anniversary to my favorite person. Love you forever and always, Pumpkin. So cute. Cute. I call Monroe Pumpkin. Mm -hmm. My dad called me Pumpkin. Yeah. So sweet. That is our show. Pumpkins. Pumpkins. Uh, thanks for continuing to send in your, your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else. Info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith, Tyler C., for the work on social media, and to Logan again for runningbadmagicmerch.com. 
thanks to Logan Keith for producing and directing today. Uh, Tyler C. also for helping up set product or helping set up production. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing listener stories for book number four. And thanks to producer Olivia Lee finding for today's first story. Producer Sophie Evans finding second. If you want to watch the show in addition to listening, you can subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Scared of the Podcast. If you want to see pics that accompany each episode, you can also now follow us on TikTok uh, at Scared of the Podcast. And if you don't want to hear any ads, if you want to check out two dozen and counting monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. And hope you're scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. Soft tissue attacks. You're not going to yeah. overpower a guy. His eyeballs aren't strong. His testicles aren't strong. I mean, truly, just like very practical. If you kick him hard enough in his balls, he's going to go down. Kick him hard enough in his knee, Kneecaps, his yeah. knee's going to break. Chokeholds. Yeah. Scratch the eyes. Go for the neck. It's likely that you'll end up with a broken rib, but you'll be alive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.